Okay, hello and welcome to From the Platform episode four. Um, Hi. Me, Tom, and that was Naomi. This episode, I would like to talk about Job because I think Job is all about how we have conversations. Um, because the majority of Job is one big conversation between Job and his three friends. And we often think that Job is about suffering. And in many ways, it is about suffering. It's about a man who loses absolutely everything. But I'd say that that's more of a byproduct of what Job is actually talking about. I think Job is actually about pride. A lot of my thoughts on this subject are from John Popel's book, To Speak Well of God. I really recommend that. Listen to his talks. Uh, you can probably find them. His ones on the Manuka Bible School website. And I think he did he did UKYC. Listen to his talks there. So I think Job is about pride. Because we see Job, he, he's called righteous by God at the very start. As he goes through his discussions with his three friends, he is also correct. He's right in their debate that they're having. Also, in losing absolutely everything, he remains... What do you mean by he's correct in their debate? So they have a debate throughout the most of Job about how mm -hmm. God works. And the three friends hold to the theory of divine retribution. Mm -hmm. Which is the idea that God punishes or rewards you for doing good or bad within the person's lifetime. And Job refutes this. So Job is righteous. God calls him righteous at the start. Job is theologically correct and also he's very humble when he loses everything he says you know naked i came into the world and naked i'll leave it you know we have to accept both good and bad from god and before his three friends arrive he's in this position of righteous right and humble and in his own little unit by himself you could suggest that spiritually speaking and in terms of his relationship with god he's doing pretty well but it's only when he joins an interface with the three friends that we start to see sparks flying. And What do you mean by joining an interface, Tom? So the interface is where two things meet, isn't it? Is this the bit at the beginning of John Popel's book when he's drinking wine? He talks about an it. interface. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, I've done, I've done the audio book for To Speak Well of God, so you can download it on Audible. Yeah, jo John Popel talks about, as a scientist, chemicals have interfaces... And when they join together, they react. And it seems like Job, on his own, he's all he's all right. He's kind of he's lost everything, but he's humble about it, and he's righteous, and he's correct. So spiritually speaking, he's in a, he's still in a good place. He still maintains that, and that's what Job kind of in, says throughout the whole book. I I maintained my innocence and my righteousness. This is this is what I am. But it's at yeah at the interface with his friends when they start to communicate with him that that you see things. You see reactions happening that maybe expose where Job needs to grow. Um, needs to be prompted to more humility. Yeah, because at the start of Job, we see that Job sacrifices for his children just in case they've sinned. So it's like, what does that say about his relationship with God if he, if he has to presumptuously sacrifice in case of things? He's trying to keep every corner covered, isn't he? in his own strength and in, in his own right. And we definitely see a different Job at the end of Job in, in that regard. So why is this about pride and where does pride come into it? I think it starts to come into it when he begins speaking to his friends 
it's as soon as they open their mouths. They sit with him in silence for seven days, kind of mourning with him to start with. And then they, well, Job first starts lamenting the day of his birth. And the friends try and comfort him by saying, listen, Job, we know that you're really good. We know that you're kind to the poor, you're, you're charitable, you're an upstanding person. There must be some sort of mistake that's happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, you... You don't deserve this. Yeah, you don't deserve this. There's been some sort of glitch, some problem, and it'll all work out all right in the end. Because they hold to the idea... Because it doesn't match up with their theology. Yeah, they, they hold to divine retribution. And we don't know how long Job suffers for, but it obviously gets to the point where the three friends can't believe any longer that this is a mistake. They start to imply that maybe Job has sinned. And where does that start in the book, in like the... The dialogue between them. Is there a point where you can first see that? So, uh, chapter 4, verse 3 to 6, you've got Eliphaz being quite nice. It says, So, behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence? The integrity of your ways, your hope. So he's saying, like, you know, your integrity is your hope. Because you're good, that's your hope. Yeah, you're going to be okay in the end because you know you're good. Yeah. And then I think Bildad starts to imply, he almost says, imagine if there was a man who did loads of bad things. These would be the things that would happen to him. Okay. And he basically describes Job's uh, condition. And how far is that into the, the conversation? So... Eliphaz speaks and Job replies, Bildad speaks, Job replies, Zophar speaks, Job replies, and that happens again. So there's six six in total. So it starts with Eliphaz being quite nice about it, Bildad being a bit subtle about it, and then Zophar being kind of the one who actually just starts being pointedly horrible. So as in the first thing that Zophar ever says, he's like, all right, I've had enough of these guys skirting around the subject, I'm going to say it. You've obviously done something wrong. Yeah. Is that the layout? Yeah. And then they get worse in the second one as well. And so as they as they start condemning Job, Job kind of gets more and more provoked by them. And essentially, the three friends pick up the role of the adversary in chapters one and two. So that's kind of like the famously quite baffling chapters where the Satan, the adversary, comes before God and God says, look at my servant Job, who is righteous, um, isn't he great? And Satan says, well, you've kind of hedged him about with loads of nice stuff. He's only great because he's got a good life. Yeah, take that away from him and he'll curse you like anybody else would. And and so um, essentially God speaks a truth, which is Job is righteous. And the Satan opposes that and starts to chip away at that. And the three friends just pick up the mantle of that and start chipping away more at Job. So the Satan in chapters one and two takes away Job's livestock, wealth, family and health. And then the three friends kind of move on to Job's integrity and start trying to kind of pick at that as well, despite Job remaining faithful. And that's kind of the ultimate pride, isn't it? Standing against the truth of God and continuing a lie of the adversaries of God. Uh, So it's this idea of divine retribution that Job challenges, and he challenges it rightly. He says things like, I've seen the yeah the wicked die in their old age with with loads of wealth and like they within their lifetime they've not had 
their their payment from God, if so, as it were. And uh, I think the the reason for that really long dialogue part in the middle of Job is to show how that that subtle change can happen from inferring something to outright condemning somebody. It happens over a long period of time and it, and it spirals down. And it spirals downwards, the whole conversation, because the conversation that they're having is, is full of pride. They're just kind of butting their heads against brick walls. No one's thinking humbly about how to have the conversation. Um, and it gets to the point where halfway through the speeches... Uh, after one round, Job says to them, uh, he says in chapter 17, verse 10, but you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. So there's this idea that Job's like, look, I've refuted this point three times from you now. Have another go. Have have another crack at me, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll do the same thing again. I'll use my logic and my intellect to um, to bat it all away. So what is what are the specifics that you're saying is bad about this conversation? So you're sort of saying that the conversation goes on and on and on and actually ends up with out-and-out false doctrine and actually being quite cruel to each other. Mm. And then Job being really proud and saying, come on then, I'll, you know, I'm standing here, like, tell me what my iniquity is and stuff like that. So what's your what's your point there? What, like, how would that relate to our lives? Um, Surely you're not saying don't talk about stuff. No, no, not at all. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned that at the end of Job, Job is kind of he's done with his friends he's railing against god saying what's my iniquity write it on a tablet and i will wear it like a prince before you because i i want answers basically and i've got nothing and so we see that the pride that is put forward by the three friends in their way of talking to job and and job's response has kind of taken hold of job he's been righteous he is correct in his thinking and he was humble about losing everything but it's at the interface with his friends that pride takes a hold of him and god has a problem with it so you're maybe saying that um the wrong sort of conversation like the kind of thing you've been talking about in previous podcasts or kind of working towards healthy conversation with each other if it's unhealthy conversation that goes unchecked it ends up with is exacerbating yeah. attitudes and yeah, potentially yeah. more prideful um, attitudes. Yeah, and and God has an amazing thing to say about this at the end because it's interesting that God doesn't intervene in Job's life at the point where he loses everything or that his integrity is being torn to pieces. God starts to arrive in the whirlwind and speak after Job has lost his humility. And I think there's an important lesson in when we're on our own and we can study for ourselves the Bible and we can articulate to ourselves what we believe, it's another thing when we come up against other people and other beliefs and other ideas because it gets harder to articulate and explain your thoughts to another person. after Job kind of states his position as a prince before God with his indictment on his shoulder. It's God's response is to walk Job through creation, through all the land animals and animals of the sky. And he says, you know, like, do you know how any of this stuff works, Job? Do you know where snow comes from? Do you know how the mountain goat gives birth? Can you tame the, the wild ox? 
Can you, you know, give me answers to these questions? Which kind of seems removed from Job's question of why am I suffering? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and, and Job's response kind of suggests that Job doesn't really understand why God has taken him on this tour of creation and shown him all these amazing things. Job seems to think that God's just boasting mm. about how in control of everything he is, and yet Job's still suffering. It kind of riles him up even more. So he says, yeah. I'm, I, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth and I'm not going to say anything anymore. God, you're kind of a big cosmic bully. And I know that I'm under your control, but I'm not very happy. Mm-hmm. God then takes him on a tour a different tour of creation and he takes him to the oceans and he, and he basically goes down into the deepest darkest parts of the sea and pulls out from it these two monstrous sea creatures bear moth and leviathan that are able to just crush things instantaneously and have huge talons and teeth and they're like the, the ultimate picture of terror Mm-hmm. and uh, God says to Job, can you tame this Leviathan? Can you control it, Job? And then Job suddenly clicks with something, he understands something, and he he sees why God has done it. But to us, it's kind of hard still to see what, what God's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or why, or why Job that suddenly has, makes sense to Job. Yeah, it's changed. And what I think it is, is God's saying to Job, Job, you've been goading you've been provoking and poking away at something you cannot tame and we've seen in the last like 34 chapters job is trying to tame his three friends ignorance or lack of understanding and refute their arguments six times and yet he doesn't change their their position and so for me i think it's really important about conversation about pride because god's message is basically you can't change the heart of another person you can't make another person humble mm. you can hardly make yourself humble you're in the jaws of a massive monstrous sea creature without realizing it job and you're you're going to be torn to pieces by this thing because it's going to eat you up and and it's visible that you are being eaten up and so when we compare job to jesus we get a um a striking contrast because Jesus is tempted to become a prince in his own right by the, the devil in the wilderness, to take over you know, all the nations of the world, if you will worship me, says the devil. So Jesus essentially is offered this position as prince over all the kingdoms of the world. And rather than Jesus trying to use his own logic or own strength to combat that, he only ever uses God's word in the um, in the wilderness temptations, and I think that's a really important point. But not in not in the sense that Jesus just recites some words and they have some sort of magical effect in order to stop him being tempted. It's that Jesus has completely trained himself in in allowing the word to humble him, so that the idea of man shall not live by bread alone. You know, when you think about the imagery of, of, of bread, you go down all sorts of channels of imagery about the bread of life, about the manna in the wilderness, about learning, about trusting in God on the seventh day, to gather enough for now, to be content, to be humble. 
and those sorts of ideas all come out of those passages. So I imagine Jesus didn't just say that passage and everything was fine. It must have been that he says that passage to trigger a, a series it, yeah. of thoughts, to meditate on it, to realise that he needs to be humble in this situation. Because he learns the lesson of Job that he cannot control his own pride without God and without God's words. It's basically God says... It's my domain. So one of my favourite bits in the book of Job is chapter 40, which is where God starts the second speech and says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? So God's listened to Job condemning his friends and being in the right. Will you, God's like, will you do that to me? Are you going to condemn me? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, because Job's called himself a prince, so God's mm. like, go on then, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendour. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. So God's saying, if you can do this, if you can humble people, which evidently you can't because yeah. you haven't been able to do it, then I will acknowledge that your own right hand can save you. But since you can't do that, Job, you have to acknowledge that you're in a bit of a sticky situation that you've gotten yourself into. And I wonder if the whole context of Job being a man who has loads and loads of wealth and loses everything and is yet still humble about it is to put forward a character that even in all other situations is perfect still has to be aware of that deep dark leviathan that dwells within within him mm -hmm. and and that, that's how you get to Jesus with this story as well isn't it he is the the perfect person and he still was tempted in all ways as we are, but was without sin. And he was without sin because he trusted God with those proud moments. So it's kind of all I wanted to say about that, really. Only that many other passages in the Bible back this idea up. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, and there's echoes of Job here, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, which Job doesn't seem to be able to patiently endure his three friends, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That kind of relates as well. And then this is important. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, or the adversary, after being captured by him to do his will. So you have the idea that we can correct people with gentleness we can try and teach people we can patiently endure with evil but it's still the fact that god may grant them repentance it's still going to be god or the word of god that humbles that person we're never going to be able to humble them or bring them low or change their heart without god's word and then they may come to their senses and it's like job comes to his senses only after god speaks and shows him where he's going wrong to escape the snare of the devil or the adversary or this leviathan that has kind of captured job um we also have things like in isaiah 27 verse 1 
in that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. So this imagery of Leviathan in the sea is kind of picked up by lots of different authors in the Bible. We see that the sea relates to the proud nations and we see in the book of Daniel the, the, the beasts that represent empires come out of the sea and they're can very I, proud things. Can I go back a bit? So I'm just sort of about... So where was it... So was that a letter, one of Paul's letters where he was advising on how to... Mm, Timothy. Because it's kind of... Yeah, it's really interesting. It definitely backs up the whole idea of you have to talk humbly to people, you can't teach people to be humble. But in practice, that's so difficult because, mm. like, we all know, like, if there's someone who is teaching the wrong thing or has a really prideful attitude... It's really difficult just to let that play out without doing anything about it because it can like make a really toxic atmosphere and sort of affect other people really badly. Mm. And it's, yeah, it kind of feels like that's a, especially in a wider ranging context now of so many different denominations, it's kind of all, you know, God will help them to um, kind of come to their senses and all that kind of thing. It's like, well, how can... There'd be so many different ideas about God then if the idea is that God will help everyone come to their senses or mm. is it that just talking about humility, it's not talking about kind of correct doctrine? Yeah, it's it's so there's two things you're saying there. It's like how what, how do you deal with someone who is being just boastful and arrogant and maybe yeah. like, and shows no signs of being led mm, to an understanding. Mm. So I think there's there's a, a and there might be a separate podcast that I'm thinking of doing is like the Bible talks about rebuking people. It gives you yeah. advice about how to rebuke people. And there's certain steps and ways in which you do that. You either talk to them privately and then you bring another person and, and such and such. There's examples where Paul openly rebukes people like Peter when he, when he doesn't sit with the Gentiles after the Jews show up. Um, so there's examples of stuff like that. So I think that's another podcast I'm going to go into about, okay, maybe you want to talk to somebody that you don't feel is acting in the right way. How do you go about doing mm. that? What's the best way to do it? So I think we'll save that for another podcast, maybe the next one. But what was your second part? Yeah, How so it's it? that idea that God will lead someone to humility rather than lead someone to... The right yeah, doctrine. doctrine and understanding, because clearly that's not happening mm. in the world. Mm. Not that I'm saying you know, dogmatically, we Christadelphians have the truth and it's definitely the truth. Mm. But um, the fact that there's so many different doctrines suggests yeah. that God isn't leading people to. The more I think about some of these challenging topics, the more I feel like the, what's more important about being right about them is being Christ-like in the way that mm. you talk about them. And that's how you. That's what, why we're in church. It's why we've been brought together is to... Yes, understand the right things about God, but also understand how to talk about those things in the right way as well. Um, and I think just as a tool in your life, if you can talk to people in the appropriate way, in a way that feels like they've had their points listened to and you're able to contribute to their, to their uh, discussion, that's just an amazing thing to be able to do. And that's so amazing as, as a way of growing with people so yeah I'm not, I can't answer that question 100% I don't think and so yeah that's all I really wanted to say about Job the idea that um, it's about pride it's about allowing God to be in control of the destiny as it were of other people um, 
for us to, to teach and plant seeds and to provide the, the bed for discussion. We need to provide the platform so that these ideas can come forward, but that we shouldn't ever think that we can be in control of that other person. Um, and that's a, a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. Is, and is that is quite being, humbling in itself. Isn't it? Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.